Well, uh, today we continue our study of the New Testament book of uh, Philippians. Uh, We've already covered chapter 1, which was all about living uh, for the gospel, for the gospel of Christ, to advance, to promote the gospel of Christ. We've already covered uh, chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, which is all about thinking with the mind of Christ. And today, we're going to look at the importance of emulating uh, the servants of Christ in uh, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. You know, one of the greatest needs in any church is for there to be believers who model out how Christian truth is to be lived out. The church desperately needs godly examples. Why? Because Christian character is as much, it's as much caught as it is taught. Uh, and this explains why being a godly example, modeling out Christ-like character, is the primary qualification uh, for church leadership. Uh, yes, a leader is to be skilled in the Word of God, but the overriding New Testament test For leadership boils down to this. Is the person living out the truth he espouses? Is he providing an example worth following in his family life, in his business life, in his social life, in his spiritual life? In 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, the Apostle Paul wrote, I exhort you to imitate me. And then in chapter 11, verse 1, he says, follow my example as I follow the example of Christ. Uh, Later in the book of Philippians, uh, chapter 3, verse 17, Paul writes, join others in following my example and take note of those who live according to the pattern we gave you. In Philippians 4, 9, Paul writes, model your conduct on what you have learned from me, on what I have told you and shown you. And you will find the God of peace will be with you. And providing a godly example for others to follow should not just be the goal of church leaders. It should be the goal of every believer. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 21, every single believer is admonished, to this you were called. Because Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in His steps. As I follow Christ's example, as I follow in His steps, I in turn provide a godly example and a righteous path for others to follow in my footsteps. Every Christian is to strive through the power of the Holy Spirit to follow Christ's example in order to become an example worth following. And reality is, we're all providing an example to others. The only question is, is it a good example or a bad example? Now in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 18, which we have already examined, the mind of Christ, the thinking of Christ, is lifted up as an example to follow in how we are to think about and relate to one another in the family of God, and also uh, how we think and relate to those outside the family of God. The heart of that passage, as we saw, is verses 3 through 8. Do nothing 
absolutely nothing from selfishness or empty conceit with desire to put yourself on the pedestal. But with humility or lowliness of mind, you are to regard others, what, more important than yourself. He says, do not look merely to your own personal interest, but look to the interest of others. And let this attitude be in you, this thinking in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to what? Selfishly grasp, to take advantage of. But he emptied himself. He poured his deity into human flesh, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself to the point of what? Death. Even death on a cross. Now, would you not agree... But these verses possibly are the greatest challenge found in the entire New Testament. I mean, in these verses, we are commanded to think about others with the attitude of Christ. To look at others through the eyes of Christ. To embrace others in the arms of Christ. And to love others with the heart of Christ. And would you not also agree that our tendency is to respond to such a challenge by saying, well, that's just impossible. I mean, you can't really expect us to follow such an example as Christ. I mean, after all, Jesus was the very Son of God. He was holy, righteous, pure, and without sin. Well, I believe Paul, anticipating our objections, quietly introduces two men. In Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. Two ordinary men, men who were not apostles or miracle workers. He introduces these two men as examples to inspire us and show us how to live out the mind of Christ. What were their names? Timothy and Epaphroditus. It is as if Paul is saying, you want to know how to think, how to live, how to relate to others with the mind of Christ, well, then you emulate these two servants. You observe them. You watch them. You follow their example. Let me also point out the reality that we all learn by mimicking. True? We all learn by following others. So a great, great question for all of us is, whose example am I following? <laughs> and what am I learning? And so it's important for us to be very deliberate as believers, to be very intentional, to focus on, to observe, to learn from, and follow the example of mature believers. We mentioned Philippians 3.17, where Paul says we are to take note of those who live according to a godly pattern. Hebrews 13, 7 says, Remember your leaders who spoke the word of God to you. Consider the outcome of their way of life. Notice, not just what they taught you, but look at the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. So right now, we're going to consider the example of Timothy and Epaphroditus. And we're going to take a very simple approach in observing the example of these two men. We're going to simply list how they lived out the mind of Christ. And I pray their example will inspire us 
to emulate their lives and follow in their steps. Uh, we begin with Timothy, and just let me provide you just some very brief background information on this young man. Timothy was a native of uh, Lystra in the province of Galatia, which would be uh, modern-day uh, Turkey. Uh, his mother Eunice and his grandmother Lois were Jewish converts uh, to Christ, possibly converted uh, when Paul visited Lystra during his uh, first missionary journey. Uh, Timothy's uh, father was a Greek, and there's no indication that he ever came to know Christ. Uh, we're told that Timothy was instructed in the Scriptures by his mother and grandmother in his childhood and was converted to Christ. When Paul visited uh, Lystra during his second missionary journey, Paul was so impressed with young Timothy. Now keep in mind, at this time, he would have just been an, uh, an older teenager, at the most in his early 20s. But Paul was so impressed, he invited Timothy to become his travel companion, a co-worker with him. And, the, and at the time Paul wrote the book of Philippians, Timothy uh, would have been with uh, Paul for about 10 years and had become Paul's most trusted uh, co-worker. Uh, the Philippians would have actually known Timothy very well since he was with Paul uh, when the church was established in Philippi. So uh, follow in your notes, uh, but more important, uh, let's follow the example of Timothy. And the first thing that we uh, see, of course, the main thing that we see about Timothy is like Timothy, we are to display devotion to Christ by seeking the welfare of others. Like Timothy, uh, display devotion to Christ by seeking the welfare of others. Timothy's example demonstrates how to live out Philippians 2. How to do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit. How to regard others more important yourself. Not looking to your interests, but the interests of others. And thinking about others, relating to others with that same thinking of Christ. And we've discovered by, uh, through Timothy that you live out Philippians 2 by seeking the welfare of others. So notice the, those bullet points in your notes uh, as we look at how Timothy did this. And again, I trust we'll follow his example. First, Timothy expressed genuine concern for the welfare of the church. He expressed genuine concern for the welfare of the church. I hope you have your Bibles already open to Philippians chapter 2. Uh, but let's look at verses 19 and 20. Philippians 2 verses 19 and 20 where we see him showing this genuine concern for the welfare of the church. Verse 19, Paul writes, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be encouraged when I learn of your condition. For I have no one else of kindred spirit. Let me just pause right there. That, that uh, phrase, kindred spirit, literally in the Greek text it would be translated, I have no one as like-minded. So he's, he's right back. Uh, focusing our attention on the mind of Christ. Uh, that's how you would literally translate. I have no one as like-minded who's one in mind with me as, uh, as Timothy, who will genuinely be concerned for your welfare. So we demonstrate the mind of Christ by showing a genuine concern for the welfare of the church. And how did Timothy do that? Let me let me. Uh, take you to a great cross-reference. Keep your finger there in Philippians 2, but turn over to 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. 
And I want us to just look very, very briefly at verses 7 through 13. Now, the reason I go to 1 Thessalonians is that Timothy was with Paul when they founded the church at Thessalonica. So, when Paul writes, he, he, he refers to we and how they related to these believers at Thessalonica. And he's including Timothy. And so, we get a good look at what it means to show genuine welfare for the church. And, and the first thing that we see in this uh, passage in Thessalonians is that Timothy focused, along with Paul, in touching people with tenderness. They were tender. They understood the importance of building relationships. And that it would be through those relationships that that would provide them the opportunity to share the gospel. Look at verse 7. He says, but we proved, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 7, but we proved to be gentle among you. As a nursing mother tenderly cares for her children. This tells us it's not, it's not only important what we share as believers, but what? How we share it. How we relate to others. How we interact. And then he says in verse 8, Having thus a fond affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. So the first thing that we see on how Timothy demonstrated a genuine concern for the welfare of the church, he put the priority on tenderness and gentleness, building relationships with those in the family of God. He realized as important as it was in sharing truth, it was to impart his life to them because they were dear to him. They were valuable to him being part of the family of God. But he didn't stop there. He not only touched people with tenderness and building relationships, he taught people with, through transparency which enabled him to build respect to those that he was ministering to. Look at, look at verses uh, 9 and 10. It says, For you recall, brethren, our labor and our hardship, how working night and day so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, Believers. What's he saying there? He's, he's saying, we provided you an example. Everything we're talking about in this message. We were transparent before you. We didn't put on any mask. We were genuine. And as you observed our lives, as you watched our lives, you, dim, you saw before you holiness and righteousness, a passion to follow Christ, to honor Christ, to impart Christ to others, but he, he not only uh, taught them uh, through providing an example, but also through encouragement. Look at verse 11. Just as you know how we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children. So in this one passage, we see that Timothy says, the way I related to the church is I was like a mom and I was like a dad. I had the gentleness and the tenderness of a mother. But I provided the example of a father. I had the strength to encourage and to admonish because I loved you, because I cared for you. But not only through encouragement, 
by equipping them. He says, so that you may walk in a manner worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So we ask, how do you demonstrate genuine welfare to the church? First, by focusing on tenderness, gentleness, building relationships. Second, being transparent. By providing a godly example for others to follow. By providing encouragement. And encouragement means what? Coming alongside of an individual. Putting your arm around them because you do care for them. And then equipping what? You're not only telling them what to do, you're showing them what to do. You're, you're, you're there with them in providing that opportunity. And then what, how, what resulted in all of this? People were transformed by the gospel. In other words, response was secured. Look at verse 13. And for this reason, we also constantly thank God that when you receive from us the word of God's message, you accepted it not as the word of men, but for what it really is, the word of God, which also performs its work in you who believe. The important thing to see here is that you demonstrate genuine welfare first by what? Focusing on relationships, building relationships imparting your life to individuals. And then as I build that relationship, as I develop that closeness and intimacy, now I am in a position for my example to have a significant influence on their lives. Because as they're close, they're able to observe me, they're able to watch me, I'm able to encourage, I'm able to equip. And then that enables me to build respect. And as I build respect, they want to hear what I have to say. They want to know about the God who has changed and transformed my life. They want to know how that can happen in their lives. And that is what leads people to respond in a beautiful way. Now the next truth we learn from Timothy's example about what it means to think with the mind of Christ is that he seeks the interest of Christ. He seeks the interest of Christ above his own. Above his own. Look at verse 2021, going back to Philippians chapter 2, verse 21. He says, For they all seek after their own interests, not those of Christ. Now, here he's contrasting Timothy uh, sadly with other believers. And of course, in the contrast, what's being said about Timothy, unlike these who do not put the interest of Christ first, Timothy does put the interest of Christ first. Now, let me just make several points here. Not all Christians including Christian leaders, have the interest of Christ at heart. That's a sad, sad, tragic reality. You remember in chapter 1, Paul referred to preachers in Rome who preached the gospel out of what? Selfish ambition to make a name for themselves. He talks about how they were envious and jealous of him and his position of prestige and respect within the church. And they wanted to own that position. And so out of selfish ambition, they, they preached. They delighted in the fact that Paul had been sidelined, that he was in prison. This now gave them an opportunity uh, to come to the forefront. And again, very, very sad. But that still exists today. But Timothy was different. That's what Paul is saying. Timothy was different. He was the real deal. It was all about serving the interest of Christ. And then when you combine verses 20 and 21... We discover what it means to seek the interest of Christ. It means that you seek the welfare of the church. They're one and two of the same thing. They're identical things. They're synonymous with one another. Jesus' greatest interest is what? The welfare of the church. Why? Because the church is his bride. The church is his bride that he loved, that he laid down his life for, that he purchased with his blood. 
And the church is his instrument to advance the gospel. You know, there's something terribly wrong with a believer who is not interested in, devoted to, and invested in the life of the church. I mean, you, you know, you just cannot say, I love Jesus, but I really don't care for his bride. I don't care for his church. You know, we all know John 3.16, but do you know 1 John 3.16? That verse reads this way. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his love for us, and we ought to lay down our lives. Now, you would think that would read, he laid down his life for us. So now we ought to lay down our lives for him, right? That's not how it reads. It says, Jesus laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. In other words, I demonstrate my love for Jesus by laying down my life for you, by being devoted to you, by being generally concerned for your welfare. The next thing we learn from Timothy's example is that striving to think with the mind of Christ is the key to a proven track record. It's the key to a proven track record in the test of life. Uh, look at verse, the uh, uh, very first part of verse 22, it says, but you know of his proven worth. You know of his proven worth. And beloved, how many times have I said from this pulpit that I have yet to meet the Christian who obtained any measure of victory in his Christian life until he got serious about his thought life, about his thinking, about knowing the Spirit of God, bringing those thoughts in subjection to Christ. Reality is the battle is won or lost in the mind. And that's why we're exhorted in the Bible to what? Bring every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. Timothy took very seriously what Paul wrote in Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as what? Living sacrifices. Living sacrifices. Holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. This is how you worship God. By surrendering your life as a living sacrifice to Him. And, and what does that mean? What does that imply? Do not conform to the pattern, to the thinking of this world. But be transformed. How? By the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. How do you develop the mind of Christ? This is not complicated. Now, it's challenging, but it's not complicated. You develop the mind of Christ first by getting into the Word of God, learning the Word of God, loving the Word of God, storing it into your heart, treasuring the Word of God. But you can't stop there. As I learn the Word of God, as I gain that knowledge of God's truth, then I must personalize God's Word. In other words, if you're really serious about acquiring the mind of Christ, developing the mind of Christ and walking in it, you would take a message like this and say, how does this speak to me? How does this apply to me? What are the implications to me? What is God saying through this truth to me? And then as I personalize God's Word, as I become convicted under God's Word, seeing as I fall short... As I embrace the challenge of God's Word, to lean and trust 
upon him, then I must what? Obey God's word. That's how you develop the mind of Christ. You get in the Word of God. In the Word of God, we find the thoughts of God, the thinking of God. And so I embrace those thoughts. I begin to think those thoughts. And I begin to personalize those thoughts, seeing the implications upon my life. And then I commit myself to obey God's Word. It's a process. But that's how the process works. The next thing we learn from Timothy's example about a person thinking with the mind of Christ is that he lives to further the gospel. He lives to further the gospel. Notice verse 22 again. Not only did he have proven worth, but he says he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Uh, that, that word serve actually means slave. He was a co-slave with me in the furtherance of the gospel. Now again, let's make this very practical. To develop the mind of Christ, we must begin to think about reaching lost people in an intentional, deliberate way. For example, this past week, did you give any thought to lost people? Was there ever a lost person that was really on your mind, that was really on your heart? See, what we're talking about has to become intentional. It has to become deliberate or it's never going to happen. And this goes back to what we talked about last week. Christ is calling us. Follow me. Follow me. And I will make you to become a fisher of men. And then as we receive that call, trusting that God will empower us, I start fishing in the fishing pond that God has placed me. I begin looking around in my neighborhood. I begin looking around at the workplace or my school or other contacts in the community. And I ask, who are the lost? Where are the lost? I begin to identify them. I begin to pray for them. I begin then to deliberately build relationships with them, reaching out to them, being tender, being caring to them, showing them a loving heart. And then as I build that relationship with them, I look for those opportunities. I ask God for the opportunities to be able to share Christ with them. And I guarantee if you truly put the lost people on your mind and you identify them, you pray for them, you ask God to give you opportunities and you look for those opportunities, those opportunities will open up. And as a church, we are to build bridges to the lost in our community through loving and caring ministries, which will provide us the opportunity to reach the lost for Christ, just like Sound Choices, or just like our after-school tutoring program, or our Meals on Wheels program. We could go on and on and on. These are all Bridges that connect us to people to have the opportunity to demonstrate love, build that relationship, gain their respect, to have the opportunity to share Jesus, to share Jesus. Look at the next thing that we learn from Timothy. Be submissive to spiritual leadership. Be submissive to spiritual leadership. Look at uh, the latter part of verse 22. He talks about, he served with me in the furtherance of the gospel like a child serving his father. I would never encourage you to follow the example of anyone who is not under authority. Every person needs to be under authority. Every Christian needs to be accountable to other believers. 
And not only accountable, but be in a position where he can be encouraged by unbelievers. I mean by believers and challenged by them. Hebrews 13, 17. It says, obey your leaders and submit to them. For they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Let them do this with joy and not with grief. For this would be unprofitable to you. The next thing we learn about Timothy, the last thing here before we quickly move to Epaphrodites, is we need to be willing and available to serve. Look at verses 23 and 24. Therefore I hope to send him immediately as soon as I see how things go with me, and I trust in the Lord that I myself also shall be coming shortly. You know, the amazing thing about Timothy when you look at his ministry is his willingness and available to just go at the drop of a hat. I mean, whatever Paul asked him to do, he went. So, you know, you find Timothy throughout his ministry taking trips to Thessalonica, taking trips to Philippi, taking trips to Corinth, taking tri- trips to Ephesus at, at, at great cost to himself, putting his life often at risk in, the, in these endeavors. And so you're not going to be able to be used by God unless you're willing and available to be used by God. And for many of us, that means to what? Reprioritize our lives. We become too busy. And we get involved in so many things that have no uh, impact in terms of eternity. And so we need to narrow our lives and to ensure that we have the opportunity and we can make the time to be willing and available uh, to the ministry and the work of God. Now, very, very quickly, and this will be extremely quick, Epaphrodites. Epaphrodites was a member of the church at Philippi. And you remember when Paul was imprisoned in Rome, uh, the church at Philippi wanted to uh, show their love for Paul. So they collected an offering, and then they wanted to send that offering to Paul. And Epaphrodites not only gave toward that offering, but he was the one selected. Uh, to travel to Rome and give it to Paul, and not only give the offering to Paul, but then to remain there and minister to Paul. Uh, Do whatever Paul would need. And so what we learn from Epaphrodites, as you see there in your notes, we're to expend all and risk all in the service to Christ. And we see this in verses 25 through 30. 30. We're to expend all and risk all in service to Christ. What we learn from Epaphrodites is sacrifice. That at the heart of the mind of Christ is a cross. Where we give ourselves for the sake of others, even at the point of risking our lives. So again, very, very quickly, look at those bullet points. First, in uh, verse 25... The very first part of that verse, there's three designations that are given uh, to Epaphrodites. A loving brother, a co-laborer, and a fellow warrior. And those are wonderful designations. Paul says he's my brother, my brother, my loving brother. In other words, when a person has the mind of Christ, it's just this simple. If God has accepted you as his son or as his daughter then I'm obligated to receive you as my brother and my sister. It's amazing how much more tolerant Jesus is than we are. And so it just boils down to that. Are you God's son? Are you God's daughter? And if, that is, if I answer that in the affirmative, then I'm obligated to love you as Christ loved me and receive you unconditionally as my brother and my sister. Co-labor. Epaphrodites was never a spectator. He was a participant. 
He got involved in the game, a fellow warrior. He realized the battle was not with flesh and blood, but with spiritual powers of darkness. And he engaged in that spiritual warfare through prayer. Look at the second bullet point, a faithful messenger and minister. We see this in the latter part of verse 25, where he talks about the fact that he was your messenger and a minister to my need, uh, because he was longing for you all and was distressed because you had heard he became sick. In other words, in his service to Paul in Rome, he became deathly sick, uh, nearly uh, lost Epaphrodites, if you're familiar uh, with the story. But Paul says he was a faithful messenger and minister. He could be counted upon. He was a man of integrity. When you gave Epaphrodites a job, you didn't have to go behind him to see if it was done. You didn't have to go behind him to see if it was done well. You could know you could count on Epaphrodites. And then finally, look at the last truth. He voluntarily exposed himself to danger for the work of Christ. He voluntarily exposed himself to danger for the work of Christ. Just for the sake of time, look at the very last verse, verse 30. It says, because he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was deficient in your service to me. Underline that phrase, risking, uh, risking his life. Let me just, I'll, I'll close with this. It's a very interesting verb in the Greek text. It's uh, connected to the noun uh, parabella, which literally means in, in the Greek, this is fascinating, it literally means to roll the dice. That's what the word means. So it means to play the gambler or to expose oneself to danger, uh, to take risk. And, and that's what Paul is saying about Epaphrodite. That's where he's commending him. He said, here's a man who is willing to risk his life for the cause of Christ. He had expended everything. He gave everything. And then it's fascinating, in the uh, early church, right after the New Testament era, uh, they developed an association of men and women who took upon themselves the name of the gamblers. And they got it from this verse. And in this association of believers, Epaphrodites was their model. He was their hero. And what these men and women did in the early church is that they visited prisoners, they visited the sick, and especially those with infectious, dangerous, and communicable diseases, like leprosy and others. And that's what the mind of Christ leads you to do, to empty yourself as Christ emptied himself in order to connect with people and through loving, caring ministry, bring them to the saving knowledge of Christ. So I pray uh, this morning that God will give us the grace to follow the example of these two men. Uh, this is where the rubber meets the road, uh, very practical message. And again, I would encourage you, take your notes. Look those notes over. What are the implications to your life? And where is God calling you to apply this truth and to step out in obedience in following the example of Timothy and Epaphrodites? As we uh, extend the invitation this morning, uh, I pray as believers uh, we will respond to the truth uh, of God's Word. Uh, if you're here and you do not know Christ, it's been a wonderful service for you to be in as we have lifted up the Savior, as we've lifted up the cross, 
where He died for the penalty of your sin and rose again and He's alive to offer you new life if you would simply put your trust in Him and the fact that He died for your sins and He rose again to be able to take up residence in your heart as through faith you would invite Him in to forgive you of your sins and take control of your life. And I would appeal to you to do exactly that today, to make your heart His home as you invite Him in. And possibly you've been visiting, looking for a church family, and God's leading you to unite here, and we would invite you to come. Uh, Unite hearts with us, unite hands, and uh, let's together follow the example of Timothy and Epaphrodites, and uh, let's continue to grow a church that has a genuine welfare uh, for one another, and a church who's willing to expend all and risk all in the cause of Christ. And let me do say, I want to thank you that we have a lot of Timothys and a lot of Epaphrodites here right at Edgewood Baptist Church. And I'm so thankful uh, for the many godly examples that God has raised up here. And I would encourage all of us, look around, and you note those individuals, and you observe and you watch those individuals, and you follow their examples. So stand with me as the invitation is extended, and you simply be obedient to what God is speaking to your heart.